That's amazing. That's the coolest Jonah thing I've ever seen. Hey, welcome, friends. We are kicking off a new series tonight on Jonah, and uh, it is going to be a fun next few weeks. Welcome, friends, in the room and in Fort Worth and in Houston, El Paso and Tulsa, Cedar Rapids, Woodlands, Spring, wherever you were tuning in with us from. Hey, let me start with a story that will give us some direction for where we're going. Any, uh, any dog people in the room? <laughs> wow, they are here. Uh, any cat people? Okay, you guys, you're dismissed. All the cat people. No. Hey, uh, let me tell you the worst part about, if you're a dog owner in the room right now, you'll uh, be able to relate to this. The worst part about owning a dog, I'm a dog owner. Uh, we have a uh, Rhodesian Ridgeback that's like 130 pounds. He's like a little baby elephant jumping around. And uh, the worst part about having a dog is in the winter when it gets cold or rainy like it was for like six weeks straight here recently, or uh, icy or snowy, and what do you have to do? You have to exercise the dog, and you get home from a long day of work, and they've been taking a long nap for 12 hours, and they want you to take them out and exercise them, and you're like, it's pouring rain. This is terrible, my life is miserable. Or it's icy cold outside, and you gotta take them out, and you gotta bundle up, and you gotta put on all kinds of clothes, and you gotta take them on a a walk or run. I don't know if you're like me, I'm not a runner, so it's like I'm already starting at a deficit, and, um, and it's just my least favorite part, particularly whenever it gets icy. There was a time a couple years ago when it was icy, and I was living in the M Streets at the time on, uh, in a duplex uh, on Martell, and I had this dog. I had just gotten him. He was a puppy, and, um, and I would, it was like during kind of the ice apocalypse stage of Dallas where there was ice and snow and all that, and, and I had to exercise him. So what I would do is every night I would go down to Glencoe Park, which is right there in the M Streets if you're in Dallas, near Greenville and, and a Mockingbird area. And I would go, and I would just bring a ball, and I'd throw it, and I would wear essentially a big coat, and like, uh, I'd go right before bedtime. So I'm like in PJs and throwing the ball, trying to get energy out of him, throwing back in the car. He can ride shotgun, go back to the house, go down to bed. One day, I was on my way back from the park at night, and it was cold, it was icy, it was miserable outside. I'm like bundling up in ski gear and slippers and, and mixing those two together. And I see this as I'm driving just back to my house, which is really close. I see this stray dog that I can tell there's no one else around, there's just a dog kind of wandering from one yard to the next. And because, um, of, for whatever reason, I, I, uh, I don't know if you're the type of person that's like, hey, I feel like I need to stop and check to see if this dog has tags or, you, or a Christian is another way of saying that. <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, for whatever reason, I'm like, I feel like I have to like check to see if he has tags. If he doesn't, I feel like I did my thing. But if he does, then I, I should call the owner. So I'm looking, I'm trying to see the tags, I'm pulling up next to him, he continues to go. He sees me and he doesn't want anything to do with it. He goes from one house to the next. So eventually, I, I kind of pull up in front of him and I pull into the driveway of the yard that he's in. It's just a short driveway and I pull my car up there and I begin to open up the door to go see and check if he has tags. As I'm opening up the door, the dog, my dog that was sitting shotgun, takes this opportunity to make a break for it and goes right behind me and sprints off after the dog. Now the stray dog takes off down the street and now both of them are on a direction. I leave my car running, mind you, and begin to take off after them in slippers going, Judah is the name of my dog. Judah, Judah, come back, come back. That's not working at all. And he's now chasing this other dog. They go, they're running towards 75 on Martell, which is just a street. But they're running towards 75. They go right down another street. They go back. And now they're running together towards Greenville. And I'm chasing after them in slippers, 
just sprinting through the ice, yelling to get my dog to stop. And I'm seeing my dogs get closer, my dog and this other dog, get closer and closer to Greenville. And I'm like, oh my gosh, and trying to save this runaway, I'm gonna end up losing both of them or they're both gonna get hit because Greenville's not exactly like a you know, quiet neighborhood street. And so they're headed towards Greenville right by Gloria's. And all of a sudden, I mean, and they're getting farther and farther because like I said, I'm not really a runner. So uh, and the distance is, is not, I'm not closing in. It's like, I'm just gonna power walk. I'm cramping. And uh, out of nowhere, right before they're getting there, this guy who's walking up and down Greenville with his dog turns the corner and the two dogs, my dog and this other dog, stop to you know, do the dog greeting, if you will. And I'm yelling to the guy, grab those dogs, grab those dogs, grab, out of breath. He grabs the dogs, finally get over there. I take both of the dogs, and I'm like, oh my gosh, man, this is the last time I'm ever gonna be a good Samaritan as it relates to dogs that I see. And I begin to walk them back, and I uh, am now taking them, and the dog, the stray dog, breaks loose again. And I just grab onto my dog's leash, and he run, the other stray runs off, and I'm like, Dude, you're on your own, buddy. I've done all I can here. You win some, you lose some, and he takes off. And it was, it was like, truly, I was so out of breath, I threw up in the bushes right there next to Glorious. <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not the first time that's happened, hashtag Greenville. And uh, so I, uh, <laughs> I am now walking back home, back to my car that's been running in this person's driveway, and I get into the car, and I finally get home, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. That was miserable. And I learned that night my limit as it relates to how far I will go to chase the runaway. Tonight, as we look at chapter one of Jonah, we are going to discover how far God is willing to go to chase the runaway. Just like I learned my limit there tonight in chapter one, and really throughout the next few weeks, we're gonna see what is God's limit as it relates to chasing people not dogs who run from him. Inside of the room right now, lots of us are either coming in and we're in a season where we've been running from God. And we'll talk about exactly what that means and what that looks like. Or we've had a season in our past where we were all runners, essentially. And so it relates to the question of like, what is the limit that God's gonna go to? Uh, what is the limit that he's gonna allow you to run to? Or how does God interact with the runaways? How does God see them? Does God care about them? What's his relationship with people who run from him? Like, is he willing to go to any length? Maybe you came in the room tonight and you're like, man, if you're a Christian, he'll go to any length, neither death nor anything else in creation can stop. And do you really believe that? Like, if you did everything wrong, if you just decided, hey, I'm an atheist, I'm out of here, I don't care about God, you're still thinking, man, there's no link. He'll never stop coming after me. Maybe you're inside of the room and you're like, no, that's not exactly, I mean, God helps those who help themselves. You gotta kind of meet him halfway. If you move in God's direction, he'll move in yours, but it's not just a, hey, he'll never stop chasing after runaways. What is the relationship that God has? Furthermore, how does he, you know, care about the season? Are we getting, do we get punished for the seasons in our life where we're running from God? Like, does he punish us? Does he punish our future? Like, maybe today you feel like, uh, my singleness my relationship status, my job, career status is being impacted by my past season where I was running from God. Am I being punished right now? So what is God's relationship to the runaway? And what is the limit to the length that he'll go to bring them back? Both of these we'll discover tonight in Jonah chapter one. If you have a Bible, you can flip open to Jonah chapter one. You should probably just flip open to the very beginning of your Bible to find the table of contents to find Jonah or good luck. 
and because uh, it's kind of buried in there in what's called the minor prophets. Jonah was a prophet. Uh, what is a prophet? In the nation of Israel, or in the Old Testament, uh, which is the story of the nation of Israel, God would show up and he would say, hey, I'm gonna speak to the nation through a prophet. He's gonna raise up somebody and he says, hey, you're, I'm gonna speak to you and through you to my people. Jonah was one of those prophets that God showed up about 750 BC and said, hey, I'm gonna speak to uh, the nation of Israel through you. Inside of the first chapter, what we're gonna discover is specifically the answer to three questions. What running from God looks like for us today? As we look at Jonah's example, what running from God leads to every single time? And then how far will God go to bring us back to him? We'll start in chapter one, verse one, as we kick off Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and it said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port and after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, what did, what did we just learn? So Jonah gets told by God, hey, I want you to go and I want you to preach to Nineveh and I want you to call out to that city and tell them about me and tell them to repent and turn from their evil ways. Jonah says, I'm not sure I'm gonna do that. He decides to get on a boat and head for Tarshish. Now, what's significant about the relationship or where's Tarshish and where's Nineveh and where's this all happening? So here's a map that should show us a little bit. So he's told by God, he's hanging around Joppa and he said, hey, I want you to go over to Nineveh, which is in modern day uh, Iraq. And Jonah says, yeah, I'm, you're kind of breaking up right now. I think I'm gonna go to Tarshish. And he decides I'm gonna get on a boat that's headed for the coast of Spain. He's like, the running of the bulls sounds nice. Maybe I'll check that out. Not exactly sure about this Nineveh thing. Now, why would Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Because maybe you've heard this story before. A lot of us grew up in Sunday school and were like, dude, I mean, why would you not just obey God, Jonah? You should have just gone to Nineveh. Here's why for Jonah, Nineveh was not just a you know, ministry opportunity that God was leading him in. Jonah knew it would cost him his life, or he likely thought it would. Like, the Ninevites were not good people. Uh, they were the, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. What's, what's all this have to do, or why is that significant? The Assyrian uh, nation was one of, like historians would say, if you study history, they're one of the most barbaric people group to have ever existed. Like, they uh, were experts in doing incredibly cruel things so that the word got out, you do not want to mess with Jonah. They uh, mastered or perfected the ability to skin people alive. So when they would conquer a town, they would take the men outside, they would bury them up to their waist, and then they would watch or they would skin them uh, alive from their waist up, and then they would cut off their tongue, and they would watch them die, and they'd have their families watch them and die. Then they would take the women and children, and if they didn't burn them alive, which often happened, they would rape them or make them their slaves. I mean, they are truly, they're the great, 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 great grandparents of ISIS. I mean, that's who these people are. It's just outside of Iraq. That's where Nineveh is. It's outside of Mosul, Iraq today. And so Jonah not going, like, Jonah's going, dude, it's gonna cost me my life. Are you serious? I mean, most of us won't even share our faith with, we're afraid to share it with like our barista at Starbucks. And Jonah's like, hey, skinning out live, or skinning, being skinned alive? I don't think so. And so he decides, man, I'm gonna pick up and I'm gonna go that I'm not interested in that. It wouldn't be dissimilar for God to show up to you and say, here's what I want you to do. I've got a mission. I want you to get on a plane. And I want you to go, and I want you to pull together ISIS, 
and the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. I want you to get everybody together and I want you to hand out WWJD bracelets, tell them Muhammad is not a true prophet, Allah is not real, Jesus is the only way and he will accept your forgiveness or he'll extend you forgiveness if you repent and accept him as your Lord and Savior and do an altar call. What would you say to God? Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I think I'm gonna check out Spain. That's exactly what Jonah did. He's going, this is gonna cost me my life. He says, I'm officially a retired prophet. I'm gonna hang him up, no longer for me. I'm gonna start over in Tarshish, or Tarshish. And uh, <laughs> I don't really know how it's pronounced, but, um, and I'm not sure anyone does, but I, I think it's Tarshish. So Jonah takes off. The first point I wanna see from his life where Jonah decides, hey, I'm gonna run. The word of the Lord comes to him and he says, I'm not going to do that is what running looks like for Jonah is exactly what it looks like for us. Running from the Lord. What does running look like today? First point, if you take notes, you can write, what does running look like today? The answer, disobedience. Like running is not some huge season and actions and, and years and years. Anytime that you and I are disobedient to God's word, that's all Jonah did. He told no to God. I'm not going to do that. Anytime you and I are disobedient to God, we, like Jonah, have officially begun to run. We may turn back, we may um, you know, not run for very long, but anytime you and I disobey the word of the Lord, what does running from God look like? It's just disobedience. And here's the way that I think that we do this in two ways. We say no directly, or we say no, not now. We delay obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience, and it is still running from the Lord. What do I mean by delayed obedience? I mean the type of mentality that says, hey, I'm eventually gonna stop partying just not right now. I'm not gonna do the kind of weekend warrior thing forever. This is called your 20s. This is what you do. You are officially running from God. The person who says, hey, yes, we're living together, but we're eventually gonna get married. And we're married in God's eyes. And God understands you are running from God. And you're doing it in a relationship in, in a way that God says is not how he designed marriage, dating, romance to take place. We live together and we're not married. Maybe you're in a season of life where you're like, hey, I'm eventually going, you delay obedience through saying, I'm eventually going to get plugged into a church, just not right now. I mean, I moved here last year. I'm still kind of getting settled. This is a busy work season. I would get more plugged into a church, but I just don't have time for it right now. I think God understands, really. You are running from God and you are disobedient to his command for every Christian out there to be plugged in and connected to a local church. If you're a Christian, you have officially begun to run in that area of your life. It doesn't always look like saying, not now. Uh, someday I will, but not now. That's disobedience. It also looks like just blatantly saying, no. Some of you are in the room. Uh, you are running from God as it relates to the dating relationship that you're in right now. And you are just saying, you know you're in a relationship that is not honoring to God. You're dating someone that uh, is not a believer or they're not really deeply chasing after Jesus and God would say, you should not be in that relationship. And you're saying, no, I'm afraid of being single. I'm afraid of the consequences. I'm just kind of enjoying this right now. I, I'm not, I can't hear you very well. And you are saying no to God because the attitude is like, look, you know, it's easier to become a Christian than to become hot. And they're pretty hot. And so I'll kind of work with them on the whole faith thing. And maybe I could be a light. You know, someone needs to tell them about Jesus. And so that could be me, this guy. And you are running. 
And as we're gonna see in a second, it never leads to a good place. And the best thing that all of us can do when we discover an area of our life where we are running from God is to turn back, to repent, do whatever we have to, and in order to turn back to him. Because as we're gonna see in the next few verses, just like what Jonah discovered, we were gonna discover of any time that you and I run from God, we run towards pain, towards destruction inside of our life. Now here's where I think the... Um, Biggest challenge for all of us in the room as it relates to running from God. If you're running in an arena of like, you know, alcohol or of just anything inside of your life that's not in line with God's word, that is not living or lives disobedient to what God says, here's the challenge I think for all of us. Unlike Jonah's situation where God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to go here, and he says, yeah, no, not gonna do that, and he takes off running in the other direction. The way that you and I run from God is generally a lot more subtle. It's not that God shows up and tells us here's this unique message and we say, you know what, God, I'm out of here. Catch me if you can. That's not how we run from God today. Usually, running from God is a drift. It's just one decision after the next, after the next, one disobedient decision after the next, after the next, until one day we find ourselves going, how did I get here? I'm an alcoholic. How did I get here? I'm addicted to pornography. I'm in a same-sex relationship. How did I find myself here? I'm so far in the world, I can't remember the last time I thought about God. And I remember the season in my life of being raised and, and, and it wasn't like this and I just feel so far from him because it's one decision after the next where we drift. It's like this, my um, family loves to go to the beach. I don't know if you like the beach, but my wife and I would love to go to the beach and, and uh, we were at, uh, in Mexico a little over a year ago and we were hanging out there and we got to do like snorkeling and hanging out in the water and, and you go out and you know what happens anytime you go out into the ocean and you're snorkeling? A lot of times you have this experience where you kind of stop from looking at the fish or doing whatever and you look up and you're like, where am I right now? Where's our hotel? And you look down and your hotel's like four hotels down. You're like, how did I get here? It was just a slow drift. Or I, you may not even have realized or I didn't even realize how far I had drifted. Some of you right now, if you were to be honest with yourself, you are drifting and you find yourself in times going, how did I get here? How did I wake up here? It was one decision after the next, after the next. It was one, hey, I'm just gonna go on a date with this guy. I know he's not Mr. Right, but he's Mr. Right now. And uh, you know, I'm just, I'm tired of being at home alone. And so it's just a couple dates. I know we're not gonna get married. And then all of a sudden it goes to a few more dates. And then you know, I had too many glasses of wine. So we crossed purity boundaries and you know, we already crossed them once, and so what's a big deal if we end up sleeping together? And then we're spending more time and more time, and all of a sudden, he's the only person I really spend time with. And he's asked me to move in with him. And in a really quick instance, we go from, he's not Mr. Right to, we're living together. I mean, think about that. I mean, a lot of times, maybe you're a believer and you're like, man, I really wanna be intentional in 2018. I wanna grow in my faith. I wanna spend time studying God's word every single day. I mean, even the ways that we drift from knowing God's word and we wake up and we're like, I haven't read my Bible in like a year. And I had all these goals and it just happened one decision, one drift at a time where, hey, I missed that quiet time that morning and I was gonna do it during lunch and then I didn't have a chance you know, to do it during lunch and then all of a sudden it's just a slow drift. Honestly, this is how people walk away from their faith. Like this is the way that people, in other words, people usually, generally, I've never heard the story that they just woke up one day and they were like, you know what, I don't think God's real. In fact, I read this book and I've decided, 
closing that chapter in my life, moving on. It's just one disobedient step after the next. They don't trust how God says to date. They don't trust how God says to live. They don't surround themselves with God's people. And then they wake up one day and they're going, I don't even know if I believe this. Maybe all roads lead to God. And it was one step at a time. And they, and maybe you, like Jonah, were running one decision at a time. So Jonah's on the boat. He boards it and he's headed in the opposite direction. And then he discovers what all of us who run from God discover, which is when we run from God, we run towards destruction or towards pain. And here's what happens next. Jonah on the boat. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to their own God. So they're all terrified. You know what's bad whenever sailors who literally live on the water, they're like, this is what we do. That's my bed. This is where we stay. We live out here. And they're like, I'm terrified right now. So terrified that they each begin to just crying out to different gods. They're like, you take Buddha, you take Muhammad, you take Jesus. Maybe somebody will answer us out there to stop the storm. And they're crying out in order that something would stop the ship from falling apart. And they threw cargo or their uh, the prophets, you know, this is their business. And they're like, just throw it over. It's either the prophets or us. Get rid of it. Into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and he fell into a deep sleep. Side note, when you run from God, it is exhausting. And if you're a believer in the room, you know, I mean, Jonah's exhausted into a deep sleep. And if you're running, you know, it is exhausting. Here's why. Then the captain went to him and he said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots in order to find out who's responsible for this calamity. So casting lots essentially is like rolling dice. They're like, let's play Yahtzee or Farkle and let's decide who is responsible for why we're in this storm going on right now, which is not uncommon in that time. Then they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. And I think it's at this moment, because of what we're about to read, that Jonah realizes this is not just any storm. This storm is here for a reason. This storm is here because of me. So they asked him, Jonah, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. I think Jonah's just going, it's over. I'm gonna die. I might as well die. He replied, and it will be calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They didn't want to kill Jonah. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life and do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. What does running from God lead to? Running from God always leads to discipline from God. 
It leads to destruction regardless. If you're a believer, it leads to the discipline of the Lord. If you're not a believer, it leads to destruction. Anytime that we run from God's way, from what God's word says, it just always leads to destruction inside of our life, to pain inside of our life. If you're a believer, oftentimes it leads to pain as a form of God's discipline or care for you in your life, like a good father disciplining a child. Here's what Proverbs chapter three says. Anytime that you disobey the Lord, discipline happens. My son, chapter three, verse 11 and 12, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Just like a good father is gonna discipline children when they are disobedient to him, the Bible tells us that God is a good father who will discipline uh, his children. That God will allow, when you and I disobey him, he'll allow us to experience storms in our life that are either the natural consequences of sin. Sometimes he just lets you experience the consequence of sin. Hey, you're gonna get an STD. That's what happens when you sleep or you have sex in a way that's not in line with my design. And sometimes he just allows us to experience the anxiety or the pain and things that happen whenever we run from God. And they're all, just like with Jonah, the storm that God sends. God sends a storm in as a form of discipline in, God, in Jonah's life. The storm was God's mercy. Hey, I'm not gonna let you make it to Tarshish. I'm not gonna let you abandon and walk away from your faith. I'm not gonna let you leave this life of obscurity and walk away from me, Jonah. I'm gonna intervene and I will not allow you to get there and I'm gonna send a storm. Some of you have experienced this, that God will send in storms or allow us to experience the pain of our decisions not to pay us back, but to bring us back to him. Like uh, earlier I was talking about my dog and the only way that I know how to control him is uh, we have this thing called a shock collar. It's, um, he loves it. And, uh, and, <laughs> And it is a, it's, it's really a form that any time that he'll run off into the street or run away or um, you know, put his life in danger, he'll get like a beep and then a shock if he doesn't respond and come back. And very quickly, anytime he hears that beep, he is coming right back. He's like electrocution, not a fan. And so he runs right back. Now when he disobeys and he runs into the street, do you think that I sit over there and I'm like, oh my, hey, payback time, buddy. You didn't listen, er, no. Only, the only uh, pain that I introduce in that situation is all for the purpose of bringing him back to me, not paying him back. He didn't listen, so here's your punishment. It's to bring him back. This is the way that the Bible says that God works, that he will allow us to experience the consequences for sin. This is just what sin brings, and he'll allow you and I to experience that, not to be a form of payback, but to bring you back to him, to grab your attention into him. He'll allow you to experience a breakup, job loss, anxiety, Depression, if you run from God, you're gonna experience depression. And he will allow it in hopes that it will grab your attention and turn you back to him. Like I said, an STD, a pregnancy test, or a pregnancy scare, or getting pregnant, all of a form of God saying, hey, I'm gonna let you get, I'll let you get a DUI if it's gonna grab your attention. I'll let you get fired from your, bo- from your job for stealing so that you don't go further and further down that path. Just like with my dog, where I don't want him to go further and further into the street, God is saying, I will let this... I will allow this to happen so you don't run further. And he allowed it to happen with Jonah so that Jonah wouldn't run further. There's a girl on our staff who um, really experienced the pain of running from God firsthand. She, uh, about five years ago, was not on our staff. She's one of the most gifted girls I, I truly know and, um, and is just an incredible uh, gift to our team, to our ministry, and, and is involved in so many different parts of our ministry. And, uh, but it wasn't always that way. 
about five years ago, she was in a season where she was running from God. And she was uh, living, she would say, the party life. And she was like, dude, I would have told you it was the good life. I mean, it was, I wouldn't have said, like, everything's wrong. I would have said, this is the party life. It's, it's what you do. I'm young. And uh, this is the good life. And then she met this guy. And, um, and they started to date. And they started to hook up. And eventually, they decided, hey, we're going to live together. And they moved in together. And she said, I had everything I thought I wanted. I had the guy. I had kind of the job. I had the life. And something was missing. And that something on the inside just caused all kinds of anxiety inside of me, where she said, I, used, I started to have panic attacks. One of them ended me up in the hospital, where I was like, oh man, I, I, she said, I felt like I was going to die. I was so scared that I told my boyfriend, we gotta go back to church, because if I'm gonna die, I at least need to know where I'm going. And they went to church, she heard the gospel, she trusted in Jesus, and she began to make changes. But that anxiety that she felt that caused her to turn back to God was essentially God saying, I will allow you to experience this because I want to grab your attention. I don't want you to run the rest of your life running from me. And if you're the person who's going to be in charge of your life, you are going to run towards destruction every single time if it's not running in my direction. And God used all of that anxiety to grab her attention and to turn her back to him. That is what God does every time that we run from God, which is just disobedience, we are running towards the discipline of God if you're a believer and towards the destruction of God if you're not. If everything's fine, let me just say this. If everything's fine in your life right now, you're like, dude, I'm running from God. I ain't getting hit with no storm. I'm on top of the world. Things are fine. You should be concerned because the Bible that I read says that God disciplines every child that he loves. So if you're not experiencing any of that right now, you need to ask yourself, are you somebody else's kid? because you might not have a heavenly father because the Bible that I have, and if you have a Bible, it's the one you have, says that God disciplines every single child that is his. So if you're running and everything's fine, his discipline is either coming or you're not his kid. And you need to trust in Jesus who ultimately provided the payback or ultimately was the atoning work, the uh, means by which God said, I'm gonna pay for every sin inside of your life and inside of my life. God will allow pain in our life as a form of his mercy to get our attention. C.S. Lewis, who's just a, a famous writer uh, from the 19th century or 20th century, said this, God whispers to us in our pleasure, he speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And Jonah experienced, we all experience when we run from God, that God will allow us to experience pain, not as payback, but to bring us back to him. And when you run from God, you run towards God's discipline. Here's how the story ends. Then they took Jonah, so the sailors are like, man, we don't wanna do this, but he's telling us it's the only way, and so I guess we should. God, please forgive us, as we read in verse 14, and then it says this. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. It's like everything stops. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. That word there is Yahweh. They're about to have a conversion experience. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Yahweh is just essentially a more formal expression for the way we talk about God. And they made vows to him. That what just happened to the sailors, they threw him in the water, everything stops, and they're like, he was right. His God is the one true God. They left their pagan gods and those gods that they were calling out and it says, man, they worshiped Yahweh. They worshiped the one true God who was there. They made a sacrifice to him. They made vows to him that they all of a sudden become converts. 
they stopped running from God. Jonah's not the only runner in this story. They had a moment where they turned back from God. Despite having spent their entire life sailing and doing, we don't even know. But we do know that in this moment, they decided all those other gods are not real. This is the one true God, and they begin to worship him. Now the Lord provided, verse 17, a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. That's where we'll pick it up next week. But the verse just said that the Lord provided or the Lord appointed. Here's what's crazy. is It's like uh, the, the same word that is used for provided is also used for appointed or um, destined. It's as though God fashioned this huge fish early on and said, hey, buddy, I'm gonna have you swimming around the Mediterranean Sea for a while and eventually I'm gonna, here we go, and you're gonna go get him. And all of a sudden, the waters are, are um, calm. Jonah's just hanging there. The guys in the, in the boat are like, man, it's really calm. There's Jonah and a fish just comes up, whoom, swallows him, takes him to Nineveh. Now, what I want to point out and what I was so ministered to by this week is just the fact of our third question. How far will God go to bring back the runaway to whatever length it takes? How far will God go back? I mean, think about how crazy this story is as it relates to the Ninevites who were running from God. Ninevites as a culture are like, hey, we're horrible people. We are gonna run from God. We're gonna kill people. We're gonna enslave people, cut off heads, skin people alive. That's who the Ninevites was. God loved the Ninevites so much that he was willing to say, Jonah, hey, you're going to Nineveh. You're gonna go tell them about me. You're gonna go tell them about my mercy, we learn in chapter four. You're gonna go tell them about the God who was there because God was crazy about the Ninevites. God loves bad people. If you're in the room and you're like, man, could God ever love me? Let me tell you, my Bible teaches that God loves bad people. Bad people like me, bad people like you. Bad people who don't even think they're bad people. And he was willing to do whatever it takes, Jonah. You're gonna go to the Ninevites. So I'm gonna send a fish that's gonna swallow you up and it's gonna carry you over to the Ninevites and spit you up on land. It's the very first Uber. God says, it's gonna be a fish. I'm gonna send, it's gonna catch you and it's gonna take you over there where you want it to or not because God loved the Ninevites. How far will God go to bring back people who fillet others alive? As far as it takes. How far would God go to bring back Jonah? As far as it takes. I'll send a storm, I'll send a fish. I'm gonna do whatever it takes. You will not live a life of obscurity away from me, Jonah. Because I will go to whatever length it takes. God will go to whatever length it took to bring back the sailors. I mean, think about it. If all the boats that Jonah could have got on, of all the places that he could have run to, he just happens to get on this one boat inside of the Mediterranean Sea that's headed for Tarshish with these sailors. And he could have got on any number of different ways. He could have taken a camel. He could have done anything. He gets on a boat. All of a sudden, these sailors go from pagans who worship these false gods to the worshipers of the one true God who is there. Because God will go to any length to bring back runners. Does God ever stop running after people running from him? No, and he will do whatever it takes. How do I further even know that? Because 750 years from this moment, 750 BC, 750 years, God would send his son in the form of Jesus to die on a cross to prove, I will go to whatever it takes to bring you back to me. Not as payback, because all of the payment for your sin is gonna go on him. And I'm gonna do that in order not to punish you, but to bring you back to me. I'll go to whatever length it takes, including giving the life of my son. I wouldn't give my son's orange juice to you. God says, I will give the life of my son. That's how crazy in love I am with you. And if you're in the room, and here's what I know is in the room. The message that I'm even talking about, it just sounds crazy to you. It sounds like, man, that's fluffy words and that's nice. Could God really love me? You don't know what I've done, David. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a gay 
I'm in a gay relationship right now. I'm in a lesbian relationship right now. I've slept with a married man. I'm addicted to heroin. I'm addicted to pain pills. I'm addicted to all kinds of whatever drug, substance can numb me from this life around me. Could God really love me? I've had an abortion. I encourage my girlfriend to have an abortion. I'm a murderer. God could really love me? Yes. And he's gone to the greatest length that he possibly could, and he will go to any length to show that to you. And if you're running from him, there is nothing that he will do, or there's nothing that you could do that could make him stop chasing and pursuing after you. If you're coming in, you're like, dude, I just can't even relate to these people and this Christian faith. It's all these people who have it together. Have you ever read the Bible? I mean, think about the people that are the heroes in our faith. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote half the New Testament, murdered Christians. I don't know what your story is. My guess is you didn't murder Christians. What did God do with Paul? Hey, Paul, you're gonna write half the Bible, half the New Testament. That's what you're gonna do. David, remember I heard of David, you know, killed Goliath, man after God's own heart. David slept with his best friend's wife and then had him killed to cover it up. My guess is that's not your story. If it is, that, we'll, we'll work through it. There are gonna be consequences. And, uh, but even if it is, let me, let me be clear. David, the one that God says the Messiah will forever be on the throne of David, He's a murderer and an adulterer. I don't know what your story is, but if you read the Bible, it's not filled with these pages of like, oh man, these people have it all together. I could never be someone who could relate to their story. Whatever you've done, whatever your story is, if you will just turn to him, there is no length that you have run that has outrun the love and the grace of God. And if you run, you will run towards destruction every step that you take. But if you turn and you will turn back to him, you are stepping towards God's grace, mercy, and the story that he can write. There is no limit to the ways that he can use you, no matter your past. There's no limit to the forgiveness that he can offer you, no matter the things that you have done or that I have done. Jesus ultimately is who this story points to. Jesus even said that. He said, hey, uh, you guys are not gonna get any sign but the sign of Jonah. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But Jesus ultimately said, hey, Jonah was pointing towards me. But in a superior way, Jesus was so much better than Jonah. He was everything Jonah was not. But Jonah ran from his enemies, the Assyrians. Jesus ran towards them. Jesus, or Jonah, was all about self-protection. Jesus poured himself out in sacrifice. Jonah was like, hey, I'm about me. Jesus was like, I'm about you. Jonah was a sinner who ran from God. Jesus was the God who ran towards sinners. Jonah needed a savior, and Jesus was Jonah's savior, and if you ever come to trust in Jesus, he'll be your savior. He's the only savior. He's the savior of the world, and there's no length that he will stop. How far will God go to bring runaways back or to run after runaways? As far as it takes, even the life of his own son. When we run from God, we do it through just disobedience. When we run from God, if we are his child, we experience discipline. And there is no length or no limit to the length that God will go in order to not pay us back. All of the payment already went on Jesus, but to bring us back to him. I have a, um, a two-year-old son, and I'll close here. And um, he, uh, he's gotten to that stage where um, like he can count 
up to a certain number, and, and so that allows us to play hide-and-seek, and so we'll play hide-and-seek. And, um, and it's so funny, like when he is hiding and, and I'm seeking, I'll count to 10, ready, 9, 10, ready or not, here I come. And like he can't stand it. He's like, here I am, here I am. And he just doesn't totally get it. And then, um, and then I'll go hide. And he'll have to come find me. And, uh, and he's not very good at it, because he's two. And like I could be hiding behind this. And he would be like, just wandering around in circles. And so I have to help him. I have to just, I'll say, crew, crew, or I'll try to make noise or I'll do something to grab his attention, to let him know where I am. When I play the game, my goal is not to win. It'd be silly if I was like, hey man, I'm, I'm a little competitive, all right? You gotta find me, buddy, okay? No, no free lunches here, all right? My goal is for him to find me. And whatever I gotta do to grab his attention, I'm gonna do. This is what the Bible says God is like. That his goal is not to win, his goal is not to see you burn in hell forever, his goal is for you to find him. And let me show you this. He wants to know you and wants you to know him more than you will ever want to know him. God is more concerned with you knowing him than you are or you will ever be. In all of your life, God is saying, I am throwing in flares to try to grab your attention, where just like a father saying, hey, here, 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 he's trying to grab your attention. How do I know? You're in the room right now. You're in a church right now, wherever you're listening from. You're listening to a sermon from a church. Think about that. And you're like, oh man, that, is that really God pursuing me? God's pursuing me because I'm in the room in a church right now? I think I'm in the room because I came with him. That was God's mean of bringing you here, or means of bringing you into this room tonight. That whatever your story is, let me promise you this. The God who is there is crazy in love with you. And everything that you experience is something where he is trying to reach out to you. In the midst of all the pain and all the brokenness, that he's trying to use anything he can to grab your attention. And say, look at me, look at me. And just like with Jonah, and just like with my son, apart from him intervening, and saying, here I am, find me. We wouldn't see it, we wouldn't choose to see it. But the good news is he has intervened. He's intervening in your life. He intervened 2,000 years ago on a cross on Calvary. So that you never have to wonder, how far would God go to bring me back? Who's too far from the love of God? No one. That's the message of Jesus. That's the message of Christianity. That's the message of the Bible. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the story of Jonah that it points to a savior who will go and will stop at no length to bring us back to him. Thank you that you're a God who, unlike Jonah, who ran from his enemies, you're a God who runs towards enemies like me. Father, I pray for anyone in this room right now and they are running. They're making one decision after the next. They pushed you out of their life. They're not even convinced that they need you. They've spent years running from you. They may have overwhelming shame and guilt from past decisions that you would press on their heart right now. And you would allow them to experience in a way that I don't even know how to ask for, your love and your mercy and your forgiveness because they would trust not in how good of a person they are, but they would trust in Jesus, the savior of the world, the savior of Jonah, Savior of all who call on him. 
Savior that we worship now in song. Amen.